0: Mount Kilimanjaro is the highest freestanding mountain in the world. It is an astonishing 19,341 feet above sea level. Roughly 25,000 people travel to Tanzania in an attempt to summit Kilimanjaro every year. It is estimated that two-thirds make it. Almost every kind of ecosystem exists on the mountain. After passing through villages and arable land, the climb extends through a rainforest. Little by little, the greenery subsides and climbers are in alpine desert, followed by arctic, apocalyptic looking earth. Three years ago, I was one of the climbers attempting the summit. A group of us had spent a week in the Democratic Republic of Congo we met with women who had been subjected to horrific violence in the ongoing conflict that marks that region of the world. Our team was tasked with hearing the women's stories, advocating for them, and raising awareness for their plight by embarking on the Kilimanjaro climb. As our plane flew from Kenya into Tanzania, I looked out the window and saw the top of the mountain. Kilimanjaro rose from the land to the height of airplane altitude. It was as if I could reach out my hand and tap it. My stomach dropped. My nerves were a tangled mess. There was no way we were going to be able to climb that beast. In this morning's scripture, we read about another mountain, the Mount of Jesus' Transfiguration, Transfiguration is defined as a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. The Greek word is metamorpho, from which we get more to metamorphosis, to metamorphose, or to change. Scholars debate the location of the actual mountain on which this event occurred. It is not named in the text, but there are two options typically suggested. Mount Hermon, or Mount Tabor. Mount Hermon is over 9,000 feet high, while Mount Tabor is much smaller and is just shy of 2,000 feet. To help give you a visual reference point, the peak of Cannonsburg ski hill is 938 feet. Since Matthew chapter 17 tells us that it was a high mountain, many believe this transfiguration passage refers to Mount Hermon. Thus, Peter, James, and John had a bit of trekking to do with Jesus in order to reach the summit. Did these three disciples know where they were going, or why? The text for this morning is preceded in chapter 16 by a series of directives Jesus gives the disciples. Phrases like, deny yourself and take up your cross. In order to save your life, you must lose it. He questions what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul. These are hard and tricky words. Then chapter 17 opens with the three being led by Jesus on a mountaineering adventure. Also hard and tricky. From my limited yet intense climbing experience, being led up a mountain is a holy task. The leader needs to not only understand the terrain, but also understand those climbing. The African Walking Company, trekkers, guides, and porters, are the reason our team survived Kilimanjaro. Their experience and attention and expertise for each one of us was tremendous. Abraham, the leader of our expedition, would look us each in the eye and ask a battery of questions to gauge our physical and emotional status. His great care, intuition, and experience were invaluable. He knew where we were going, and he knew what we would need to get there. He had summited Kilimanjaro dozens and dozens of times. He knew that mountain like the back of his hand. Our hike was planned to take six days, Four up and two down. At our briefing the night before we left for the mountain, Abraham came to our hotel to meet us and to go over a map of what we were about to encounter. He mentioned different campsites by name, the level of altitude we'd be achieving each day, and he used terms like base camp and acclimatization. I sat at the table completely overwhelmed by what he was describing. Our time in Congo was so hard. Our travel into Tanzania ended up being overnight with multiple flights and confusion. I was so, so tired. Then, Abraham described summiting. Thus far into his talk, Kilimanjaro sounded like a really long walk. But the summit sounded like a whole different animal. And it was. On summit day, we arrived at Kibo Base Camp in the late afternoon. It had been a very difficult day of hiking miles and hours over the most barren terrain imaginable. We were told to go to our tents and sleep as much as we could. At roughly 15,000 feet elevation and freezing temperatures, not to mention the adrenaline of anticipation, our bodies were hardly relaxed. Around 11 p.m., we were awakened and told to prepare for the summit. We began hiking at midnight. The night was so dark, I could only see the small ray of light from my headlamp and the glowing dots from the headlamps of others. I had on virtually every layer of clothing I had packed. I was disoriented and scared. But I had no choice. I strapped on my pack and commenced to put one foot in front of the other, We formed a line following in each other's footsteps for hours and hours. We were on endless switchbacks up the mountain, and periodically one of our feet would slip on the gravelly rock. We were so exhausted that our normally chatty group fell silent. Some of the women were fighting to keep their eyes open. Some of us prayed. Some of us cried. It took every ounce of energy to take the next step. Eventually, the sun began to rise. This would normally be a welcome sight, and to a large degree it was because of the warmth and the light. Yet to our great dismay, the sun illuminated the great stretch of mountain we still had yet to climb. As I was pushing myself to keep going, I heard two refrains repeating in my head. One was the voice of my dear husband. When I was questioning my ability to do this hard thing and reach this impossible peak, He reminded me, this is what you trained for. The hours and hours I logged at the Y on that horrible stair machine that looks like some kind of medieval torture device, they mattered. I had trained. I was prepared. The other refrain was my friend David, who was an avid outdoorsman and a mountaineering expert. He told me a few days before the trip, your body can do more than you think it can. He meant this not in a mind-over-matter sense, but in the reality that we so often think we can't do something, so we don't even try, or we quit when it gets hard. No, he reminded me, your body can do things you never dreamed possible. Periodically, Abraham would come beside each of us, peer into our eyes, ask questions, and tell us to eat something. We took short breaks and tried to load calories and fluid. We needed to be monitored, alert to signs of altitude sickness. Our leader and guides knew how to get to the top. They had seen the world from the summit. They encouraged us and prodded us. So we see in Matthew 17 that Jesus is the trekking leader of this little band of disciples. He knows where they are going. He has seen the world from the summit, and he knows what they need in order to get there. The message translation of scripture reads, Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. Not only did Jesus know that mountain like the back of his hand, because he created it and the natural world surrounding it, but he also knew God. This oneness, this metamorphosis, was on brilliant display. The sun shone. Jesus also knew Peter. In our scripture passage, Peter busies himself with this idea that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah should have memorials or shelter erected to mark this amazing gathering. And the message reads, While Peter was going on like this, babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them, and sounding from deep in the cloud, a voice, This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. In this scene, we get a glimpse of the figure of Jesus as so much more than human. We get a glimpse of his true divine nature. Of course, when anyone encounters the divine in scripture, the words that follow are almost invariably, do not be afraid. The glory of God is so much more than we can envision. Our Lenten series is titled, Through the Eyes of Peter. So what happens to Peter on this mountain? What does he see? One writer asserts that in in this part of the story, Peter gets transfigured as well. Or at least the beginning of Peter's transformation may start right here, on the mountain, with Jesus. Peter is busy making plans, and he is stopped cold by this incredible moment of God reaching through the clouds to pronounce the belovedness of his son. Peter did not need to make a tent or dwelling for Jesus because Jesus is the dwelling. He is the tabernacle. Jesus is God becoming flesh on earth, God dwelling among us. Peter gets to see this in its most glorious form. When we, like Peter, are being transformed, there are glimmers. Of divine illumination. This is a holy journey. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. When Peter, James, and John opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus. Only Jesus. Peter's singular vision for Jesus is what sustains him. This deep relationship with his Savior is what leads him to be a tremendous messenger of the gospel. The rock on which Jesus builds his church. So our ragtag group of American activists and advocates made it up the mountain to the summit. Somehow, every one of us did it. When I got to the highest point of Kilimanjaro, I fell to the ground. I knelt on that icy, rocky ground, and I wept. Perhaps as Peter begins his path to transfiguration, we can also begin ours. There is an invitation in this for all of us to metamorphose, to change our outward reality, to match our inward reality, to shine and morph into a more beautiful or spiritual state. How do we do this? Well, first, do not be afraid. Then, Maybe we can remember the two refrains from the mountain. This is what we've been training for. Here today, we worship in this beautiful place. We read scripture. We study. We serve. There are all kinds of ways in which we are training. Perhaps this is an invitation to go deeper, to try new exercises, to get a personal trainer or a spiritual coach. Maybe it's time you became that spiritual coach for someone else. Our life experiences are also tremendous training grounds. We have all been through trials and struggles. We continuously get the opportunity to walk with someone who is in the thick of hardship. We can say, me too, or I understand. When we do this, we are becoming more brilliant and transfigured. Training is important, and knowing what we are training for is just as important. We, like Peter, get to know Jesus personally. We get to fall to the ground at the top of the mountain, look up, and see only him. And our bodies can do more than we think they can. Clearly, there are physical limitations, and our earthly bodies sometimes betray us with illness injury, and diminished ability. Yet our bodies are homes for our souls. Our bodies hold a capacity for spiritual stretching and eternal vision. Sometimes this progress is literally physical, showing up for someone in need, or conquering a fear to go to a place that feels scary. God is with you. But maybe this stretching is calling you to a new place of forgiveness, To a place where peace can flow like a river through you. Your body and spirit can do more than you think it can. We are called to be peacemakers in a world full of conflict, to shine brightly in places of darkness, to be a force of love. Taking the next step up the mountain with Jesus leads us, like Peter to see Christ more clearly and to be illuminated by his brilliant light for service in his kingdom. Kilimanjaro is a volcanic mountain, and there are actually three peaks on the crater rim. They are at slightly different elevations. As a hiker, if you reach any one of these, you have officially summited. The peak with the highest elevation is known by the Swahili word yuhuru. Yuhuru means freedom. This is an interesting term to think about in relation to the transfiguration. The third chapter of 2 Corinthians reads, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is uhuru, freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into God's likeness with ever-increasing glory. There is freedom in metamorphosis. There is freedom at the top of the mountain. In the name of the Father, Son.